Welcome to the Kanoi Church Podcast. We're glad that you're interested in connecting through this teaching time. If you'd like to connect further, feel free to reach out to us through our website, kanoichurch.org. For now, enjoy this teaching from Kanoi Church, where our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, good morning, folks. Um, We are in our series right now called Together. And the reason that we are doing a series on the the word together is because we are hoping, we're praying, and we're expecting that we're going to be opening the church and starting in-person meetings in July. Now, we're still waiting to find out when our county is going to go into the green zone. We're still looking at Uh, various recommendations by health organizations like the CDC uh, so that we are keeping our people as safe as possible. We're taking this as seriously as possible. And and obviously, we're watching some of the the different places seeing an uptick in cases of COVID-19. And so we're taking all of that in consideration as your leadership. But we're praying that we're coming back here in July. And and we want to talk about getting our hearts prepared to be back together once again. And so that's why we're talking about this word, this idea of together. And so we've covered a number of things already in this series. Last week, we did a question and answer um, service where Scott Boyer interviewed me with a variety of questions that he had come up with, but also some questions that he has heard asked by people in our congregation. And I had a chance to share my heart with you uh, about our congregation, about the future of our congregation, especially as we come through this pandemic. Uh, And I I actually really love that. We got a lot of positive feedback on that. Now, this week, we're going to do something a little bit different. You can tell that I am not at the church recording the sermon. Um, I'm actually at my home. And one of the things that I want to talk about in this series is some of the things that divide us or historically have divided us or are currently dividing us in the places where we can gather. And one of the places that we can gather right now is a a land called social media. And we've done a variety of devotionals on this topic, and I'm not going to go through saying some of the same stuff that I've already said, Um, but it it does occur to me, I do realize, and I think you all do too, that um, some some of the way that we act towards one another some of the things that we say to each other, the way that we talk to each other uh, on social media, those are things that uh, would be absolutely inappropriate and would not be okay if we came back to church and we're meeting together. Um, sometimes social media allows us to do things or say things that we would never do or say in person. And that's something that has become increasingly more real to me as we have gone through this time of social distancing where we aren't meeting in person on Sundays and where most of us aren't seeing each other on a regular basis, our interactions have so much, so largely been on social media that it seems to me that sometimes we're getting a bit um, careless in the way that we interact with each other. Now, as your pastor, I have committed to you that I'm going to remain non-political. Personally, I don't side with any political party. I I just, I don't think that it's wise for me to do that. Certainly not from a a pulpit 
I don't think that's helpful to my ministry with you all. But I have told you that while I'm not going to discuss political issues, there are times that I'm going to discuss things that are very much the heart of Jesus and are going to sound political to you. It's not because I'm trying to be political or I'm trying to somehow sway your political opinion. The simple fact of the matter is, as your pastor, it is my job, my duty, my calling, and my honor to continue to bring our community back to focusing on Jesus and focusing on his words. And when Jesus was on earth, he, he, was, a, he was a rabbi. He was a religious teacher. He spoke in towns. He spoke in people's homes. He spoke in synagogues. He, he cultivated an entirely new way of understanding who God is for the people that walk with him, people that were in his proximity, and people that listened to him. Because he did that, there were times that he said things that we regard as political. And certainly in that day and age, they were regarded as political. Jesus didn't just die on a cross for the sins of the world. Jesus was also murdered by religious leaders and political leaders because of the opinions that he had, because of the things that he spoke and the things that he said. And so Jesus has some things to say that inform our politics. I'm saying all of this to tell you right now that we might engage a little bit of that in our sermon today. And if that's something that you feel like is going to gaslight you, or uh, a, a better word for that might be, um, it's going to set you off. It's going to cause a poor reaction for you. You're going to get frustrated or upset, or this just isn't the day for that. Then I want to give you permission to just log off right now. You don't have to sit here and listen to this sermon right now. I want to. I want to ask you to come back at a better time and try and work through some of these things that we're going to talk about. Um, but I certainly never want to be a source of conflict. My goal and, um, and my call is to be a peacemaker through and through. I want to be a person of unity that takes people from various perspectives and places and brings them together under the name and banner of Jesus so that we can all move forward in God's kingdom together. That's my goal. And that's why I'm kind of letting you know now we're going to talk about some things that might even sound a little bit political and I don't want that to be upsetting to you. You know, I think the, the name of this sermon is called Caught Up because I feel like sometimes we get caught up in all the wrong stuff. Do you ever feel like that? Maybe it's, maybe it's your, you kind of look back on some things you said or maybe some things you, you typed out on your Facebook page online and you're like, ah, how do I get caught up in all that? Man, that's so man, I just, I totally bought that hook, line, and sinker. I went for it. And now I kind of regret some of the things that I said or the way I said it, or maybe some relationships that I've kind of ruined here. Or, or maybe it's not that. Maybe you look at the world around you and you say, goodness gracious, I, look, we are chasing so many things out there and it's not Jesus that we're chasing. We're getting caught up in all of the wrong stuff. Um, you might even be in a meeting sometime at a job that you have and the people at the meeting are trying to problem solve. They're trying to come up with a solution for a very specific problem. And, and you kind of sit back and cross your arms and you're like, man, I have something to say, but I need to shut this conversation down because we're getting caught up in all the wrong things right now. We need to kind of redirect our focus so that we can solve this particular issue or problem. Um, I think we all have 
had one of those experiences at least, recognizing that we're getting caught up in some of the wrong stuff. Um, Martin Luther King Jr., he is a civil rights activist. He was a pastor. He was a speaker. You know who he is. I'm not sure that there's anybody out there who doesn't know who Martin Luther King Jr. is. Martin Luther King Jr.'s contribution to the civil rights movement was through nonviolent civil disobedience, which just means things like sit-ins. It means marches. It, and it also means that if somebody were to have a particular amount of aggression toward them, especially physical conflict, physical violence towards them, their goal, their job, their mandate was not to push back or attack back. And so it was, it was nonviolent. Now, Martin Luther King Jr. didn't invent this. In fact, he took a trip over to India and he met with a man named Mahatma Gandhi. Mahatma Gandhi was a, a Hindu and he helped guide India out of its uh, dependence or guide it to independence from England, from Britain. And, uh, and Mahatma Gandhi employed the same tactic. And this is where Martin Luther King Jr. really got a lot of his ideas from, was through meeting with him and understanding what he did and why he did it. Now, interestingly enough, even though um, Mahatma Gandhi was Hindu, uh, he, you know, in some interviews, he was asked, like, are you a Christian? And you talk about Jesus, you read the Bible, are you a Christian? And he would say things like, well, I'm a Christian. Oh, you are a Christian. Well, I'm a Christian and I'm a Hindu. And so he would say things that they're not very black and white. They're not very um, clear. Um, Mahatma Gandhi would even go on to say things like, well, I love Jesus, but there's no way I could be a Christian because I see how Christians act. And so while he may not have claimed to be a Christian, every single day for 40 years, Mahatma Gandhi would meditate for two hours a day. He'd meditate for an hour in the morning and an hour in the evening. And during that meditation, every single day, he would read at least excerpts, if not in whole, the Sermon on the Mount. That's right. From our Christian scriptures, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is the longest discourse we have. It's the longest sermon that we have from Jesus himself. Jesus gives this incredibly long sermon, sitting on a mount, where he goes through a number of, of topics, and topics that actually would stand to make some of us pretty frustrated, pretty upset, um, to read the words of Jesus regarding some of these topics that we hold dear might upset us. In fact, some of these topics, we don't even realize that we hold dear. Things like violence, things like worry, and things like judging others. Now, in our fast-paced world, we get caught up in so much appointments, work, sports, movies, entertainment, friends, you name it. We go, go, go. And for a moment in 2020, all of that paused. It slowed down. But it took a worldwide pandemic to make it happen. Now, of course, things have begun to open up. People are back to working 60 hours a week in a lot of professions. Some professions aren't open yet. Um, highways are becoming congested again. Kids are being signed up for things as fast as things become available. We're, we're getting right back to where we were before this 
all started. We're getting caught up in a billion different things once again. And so today, I want us to get caught up in the right stuff. I want to take a page from Mahatma Gandhi, and I want to start this sermon off by reading the Sermon on the Mount, or at least the Beatitudes, the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm going to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. I'm also going to make sure this is on the screen in case you're watching on your phone and your phone is, you know, the Bible app is the only uh, Bible that you have. I want to make sure you have access to the scripture in front of you as well so you can see the words that I'm reading. But Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay. Now, again, folks, these are the words of Jesus. This is the the introduction to the longest sermon that we have from Jesus. And he starts out by saying, let me tell you who is blessed. Let me tell you who is blessed. Let me tell you who will inherit the kingdom of God. Let me tell you who my eyes are upon. And he says, the first people that my eyes are upon are those who are poor in spirit, and theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, I'm also watching out. I have a close eye. My heart goes out to those who mourn right now, those who are hurting, those who are crying, those who have lost, those who are going through something that just tears them apart of the inside, those who are sad. Blessed are those who mourn, for I'm going to make sure that they're comforted. He says, blessed are those who are meek, for they're going to inherit the earth. And he goes, and I'm also watching out for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who aren't okay with the status quo. When they look around the world and they see unrighteousness or they see injustice, well, I have lots of words in the Old Testament. My father had lots of words in the Old Testament for injustice. Let justice roll down like a river. That's from the book of Amos. God talks about injustice a lot. And here Jesus says, for those who thirst, who are looking for justice, my heart goes out to them because I'm going to fill them up. He says, I'm watching those who are merciful. You know, those who are in power or don't have power, but choose to be merciful towards those who seem like they're against them. To To be merciful to those who owe them. I mean, think about when the disciples say, Jesus, how do you pray? He talks about in, in, his, in the Lord's prayer, he says, we want to forgive others as we've been forgiven. You know, in its original context, that language is talking about debts. It's talking about money. It's talking about people who owe you money, forgive them like you were forgiven your debts. He's talking about, I'm watching the merciful And when I see people being merciful, I'm going to show them mercy. He said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Okay, 
This is important. Are you a peacemaker? Or are you a person who's disturbing the peace? Are you a person who's riling it up? Are you creating dissension? Blessed are the peacemakers. That doesn't mean you get walked on. It doesn't mean you don't stand up when there's a problem or when there's an injustice that you see, but it's, it's blessed are the peacemakers. People who enter into a situation, usually that's full of conflict in some way, shape or form, and they bring with them a sense of peace, a peace from God. He says, those, who, those people who are peacemakers, they're the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. And then he also says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. And sometimes we kind of take that and we say, oh, I'm being persecuted. People don't like me. I must be doing things right. You know, God is going to bless me. It's right there in the Sermon on the Mount, right in the Beatitudes. People don't like me. I'm being blessed. Well, if you finish the line, it says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness and blessed are those who are insulted and persecuted and when they have false things said against them because of me because of Jesus so sometimes we're persecuted and sometimes people don't like us because we're not very likable um, and has nothing to do with Jesus at all we're not talking about that we're talking about when you stand up for your faith and people come against you Jesus blesses you in that. He says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way that you're persecuted, the world persecuted my prophets before you. And while this isn't in the Sermon on the Mount, we know from our perspective in history that Jesus is going to be persecuted and killed even. And so he's saying, look, before you were persecuted, my prophets were persecuted. And long after my prophets, I'm actually going to be persecuted and killed. So you're in good company. If you're being persecuted, you're in good company and you will be blessed because of the persecution that you face as long as it's because of me. Look, maybe we all can't take two hours a day and read this passage and meditate on this passage. But if there was a passage that you are gonna sit down and read before you start your day. I'd encourage you to, to think about this one. Matthew chapter five, verses three through 13. Just look at this. This centers our faith for us. We're getting caught up in the right stuff. This isn't about power. If you look at this, I mean, I, I know that um, sometimes I say things that make people a little uncomfortable. And one of the things that I sometimes talk about is how Jesus was not a part of the empire. And because we live in a country like the United States of America that is as powerful as it is, that it is as wealthy as it is, um, that gives us as much privilege as it does, our country has more in common with the empire than it does with those that the empire was trampling on. Jesus, as I mentioned in our devotional this week, Jesus was a Jewish man. He was a rabbi. He was a teacher of the law. He was a student of, of the religious law. And he was a member of a culture that was being stepped on by the Roman Empire, the empire who had the power, who had the wealth, who had the, the soldiers and the army. When we read a passage like the Beatitudes, it helps us get centered on who Jesus is calling us to be, 
on who Jesus has a special eye and heart for, who he's looking at, who he um, is commanding us to, to, I mean, to be, to live like, to love like. And it doesn't have to do with power and privilege and empire. It's actually this upside down kingdom where it's saying, even though you don't have these things, you can make a difference from within, from underneath. I want us to get caught up in the right stuff because I don't want us to get stuck in the wrong stuff. I want to talk about dualism just a little bit. We've talked about this before. And even as recently as I think we maybe mentioned it in the interview last week, but certainly the week before that. And the reason that I keep talking about dualism is because it continues to be unbelievably oppressive in our world. Dualism is the idea, it's the philosophy, it's the belief where you see things, uh, you see two opposing views or contrasting states, okay? And so that means that you kind of see things in black and white. You see zeros and ones. You see things as um, either or. Uh, We've used some examples before like good or bad, right or wrong. And, And the world just isn't as simple as right or wrong. And if a good example of that, again, we've used before, is, is Abraham. Father Abraham, th- during his life uh, in the chapter, uh, Genesis chapter 12 through 24, there's multiple times where Abraham lies about who Sarah, his wife, is. He lies to various kings um, to, to kind of make sure he stays safe. He's worried that he's going to be killed because she's so beautiful, and so he lies about who she is. And the, the people who get in trouble for Abraham's lie isn't Abraham. That's the fascinating thing. Um, in Egypt, he lies to a pharaoh, and he lies to another king, and both pharaoh and the king are the ones who pay for Abraham's lie, not Abraham himself. And so one might say, is lying bad? And the answer is yes or no, and that's kind of a dualistic approach, yes or no. But the truth of the matter is we have some example where it sure seems like Abraham lied, straight up bold-faced lie as to who his wife is, and God actually kind of blessed him in the midst of that. So is it wrong? Well, it's not as simple as a dualistic approach. And that's just, that's the truth of the world that we live in. It's never quite that simple. One of the, the worst dualistic pictures that so many people fall into is God and Satan. And here's the dualistic picture. You know, have you ever thought that um, the the story of Scripture, the story of the Bible, the story of God is that you have God, this unbelievably powerful creator, and you have Satan, this incredibly evil but also very powerful, and they're always at war forever and until the very end, and they have this incredible battle, and it's close, but God comes out on top because he just kind of ekes out the win over Satan because Satan is sort of his equal and opposing force, right? We think of, of, of Satan as just as powerful as God, but at the end of the story, God wins. And that's kind of like, that's the movies we watch. You know, you think of Star Wars and you think of your, your Jedis and your, uh, I don't know, your bad guys, the dark side of the force, right? Well, aren't the Jedis and the dark side of the force, they're always like barely able to eke out a win because they're so close and being powerful, like the same amount of power. And so because of cinema, because of the poetry and the stories that we've grown up reading in school, because of Shakespeare, we sort of see 
even the spiritual realm in this manner. We say, okay, God is just, Satan is just as powerful as God and someday God's going to win. But here's the truth of the matter, folks. It's not even a close match. Satan has nowhere near the power of God. God is far more powerful than Satan. Um, The battle is already won. Uh, It wasn't just won at the cross. It was won at the beginning of time. We have it written down already. We know that in the end, Satan loses, and Satan has no power. Satan's minions, the the demonic world, the the powers and principalities that are out there, they cannot stand up to even the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is so powerful that it just pushes them away and pushes them out. There's a dualistic thinking that says that Satan and God are almost equal. That's not true. We need to break ourselves from this dualistic picture that we have of the world around us. Um, And so one of the things that we need to make sure that we're doing is we need to make sure that we are saying God is the only one. It's not this close second, right? If Satan and God isn't a close second in first place, then my life can't be a close second in first place. For instance, you all know that I'm a Steelers fan. So as your pastor, as the person who um, is trying to teach and guide and speak and walk with all of you, do you want my allegiance to my sports team to be in a close first or second place with my allegiance to Jesus? Um, when I give you a sermon, do you want me to, to stand up and quote Jesus, but then say, hold on a second, uh, Troy Palomalo also said something, and I think Troy Palomalo's words actually give us a better perspective than Jesus's words. Or um, actually, let's reinterpret the idea of love your enemies, because uh, Nick's favorite Steelers player ever in the history of the team, boy, he was an incredible player who just tackled people like crazy. And so I think it's okay to love your enemies as long as we can tackle them on the, on the playing. Like, do you want my sports allegiance to come even close to my allegiance with Jesus? No, you don't want that. And I don't want that. I'm not going to reinterpret scripture based on something that was said by an athlete, uh, or I'm not going to reinterpret scripture based on my allegiance to a sports team. Now, take all the other things that we get caught up in in this world, things like the paycheck. Should I be reinterpreting scripture because I have a love of money? And so money is the driving force in my life, which means then that um, I need to make sure that scripture doesn't call me to, I don't know, give a tenth of my money to the church or scripture doesn't call me to care for the poor, the widow, the sick and the needy because that's my money, right? Um, think about your love for, for material possessions, about your love, you name it, whatever your love is, should your love even come close to your love for Jesus? No, it shouldn't. We need to stop saying that we are, I don't know, we're Christians, We're Christians, we're followers of Jesus, and we are followers of Jesus first. So I can't be a Steelers fan and a Christian. I'm a Christian, that's a Steelers fan. I can't be an American Christian. I'm a Christian who's an American. Christianity, my following Jesus, my allegiance to Jesus and to God, to following God, absolutely has to come first before anything and everything else. 
as I said in the devotional on Wednesday, God doesn't just want a piece of our heart. He wants the whole thing. He doesn't just want a section of our life. He wants the whole thing. Consider the story of the rich young ruler who has kept every law and every commandment his whole life. When he comes to Jesus and he asks the bravest question in the world, he says, teacher, what else can I do to follow God? And Jesus says, take everything you have, give it to the poor and come and follow me. And the rich man, he walks away sadly because he can't do it. Because the stuff, the money, it means too much to him. He's done everything else, but Jesus wants the whole thing, not just a piece. The rich man said, I'm going to give you everything except my money. Jesus says, I want all of it. Give me all of it. The good and the bad, give me all of it. And what I see us doing in this world and and as Christians in this world is we want to give Jesus everything but this one thing. And there's this one thing that I keep seeing more often than not right now that continues to divide us, and that's politics. And I need you to understand, once again, this is not me trying to sway you some direction. I need you to understand that you need to follow Jesus before you follow any politics. Jesus and then politics. If you are a person who loves politics and enjoys politics and policies, that's fine. I got no problem with that. Enjoy. I'm not going to be in that world with you. I don't have a whole lot of faith in politics. But what I can say is that Jesus needs to inform your politics, not your politics informing Jesus. And what I worry about, and this is where, you know, we're talking about being together. What I worry about is how divisive politics has become. This world is more divided than I've ever seen it in my short lifetime. But I can talk to my father, I can talk to my grandfather, and I can hear them tell me that this world is more divided than they have ever seen in their lifetimes as well. And it is over politics. What we have done is we have allowed politics to make us dualistic. We see one option or the other, left, right, Democrat, Republican, and we see nothing else. And if you are in this camp, you're not my friend, or we can't talk, or we can't have civil discourse. If you're in that camp, then you can't be my friend, and we can't talk, and we can't have civil discourse. We can't be together if we're going to allow politics to divide us, which is why we need to have a banner that is more important and that is higher than any political structure, any political leader, or any political party that we have. And that banner is Jesus. That is our allegiance to him. That is our love for him. And that is our commitment to living out things like the Sermon on the Mount. That is our commitment to looking for and trying to become those who Jesus says, blessed are. folks. We have allowed things that Jesus has a lot to say about be divided into places of bipartisanship. For instance, you and I can't even talk about programs for the poor because as soon as we talk about programs for the poor or the person who's advocating for them, they must be Democrat. They must be liberal. And suddenly there's a whole side of the room that doesn't want to hear or just shuts down and doesn't listen. 
when the early church had something to say about programs for the poor. They realized there were widows who were not being fed. There were Jewish widows and there were Hellenistic Greek widows, and people were discriminating against them. And so food wasn't being distributed equally to those who could not get food for themselves. And so the disciples, the apostles, they set aside time, they stopped the ministry, they called it to a halt, and they figured out a way to make sure that food was going to get to those who needed it, and there wasn't going to be discrimination as the food was distributed. See, Jesus has something to say about this, but we can't talk about it because suddenly it's so political that we can't have a conversation. Or let's talk about being pro-life. As soon as I say the words pro-life, well, then, of course, I must be a conservative Republican. And so there's a whole half of the room, those who are liberal and Democrats who don't want to listen or don't want to talk or just shut it down because they're pro-choice. But I'm going to tell you right now that it's not about being Republican or Democrat. Jesus calls us to be pro-all of life. It's not just the unborn, but yes, it is the unborn. It's also the babies. It's also the poor, the rich, the elderly. It's the children. It's the marginalized. It's this country and that country, this religion and that religion. Jesus never discriminated against whose life he cared for. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever, whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Friends, we need to be able to talk about things like life and being pro-life without letting it divulge into bipartisanship where suddenly we can't even talk. How about guns? How about violence? How about war? Can we talk about those things? Or suddenly do we come down on sides that have been given to us, handed to us, manipulated to us by the political world that's out there. It's not about politics. God has something to say about violence. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, Jesus says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that. But friends... How can we talk about guns and wars and riots and protests and police and criminals and you and me and us and them without allowing these conversations to degrade into something that is calling for our allegiance over Jesus? We need to be able to talk about these things. We need to be able to say, look, I'm not coming out as a liberal or a conservative, but the Bible clearly says Love your enemies. And it's not an apostle who wrote it. Jesus's words from his very lips, he said, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Guys, we're supposed to love our enemies until they're not our enemies anymore. Love our enemies until they're our neighbor. And then we ask the question, who do we love? And Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. How can we have these conversations? if we allow ourselves to show that our allegiance is to politics or sports or money before it is to Jesus.
I want to encourage you. I want to ask you. I want to hope with you that as we come together, this community at Kanoi can be a beacon of hope to the rest of the world to say, look, (laughs) we've got Giants fans and we've got Steelers fans in the same place. Look, we've got liberals and conservatives, Democrats and Republicans in the same place. Why aren't they fighting? Why aren't they at, at, the, at each other's throats? How can they talk about things like abortion and the death penalty? How can they talk about things like war and gun control and violence without falling into all the traps that everyone else falls into? And the answer is from everybody who knows us, from everybody who spends any time with us is because their allegiance isn't with the world. They're not of the world. They are in the world on behalf of Jesus Christ himself, and they are united under a banner of Jesus before anything and everything. Friends, let us get caught up in the right stuff so that when we come together, we can be caught up in each other. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this very day. We thank you for this time we have together. And God, we do pray for our country. We pray for the divisiveness that is out there. We pray for our people that they would not get stuck or locked into this. God, we pray for this pandemic, that there would be healing, that there would be a cure, that this nation would be healed. God, we pray that our world would come to know that you are king and that you are God, that every knee would bow joyfully giving worship to you. Father, we seek that world We don't always know how to live in it, but we do know that you've given us your scripture to help guide us. So God, bring us back to that again and again and again. Help us to know that you have given us everything we need to follow you. And one of the greatest things we have is each other. So God, unite us together as a family and a community for you. In your name, amen. This is Pastor Nick. Thanks for listening. I hope something that you heard today was very helpful. If you want to connect with us further, feel free to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or our website, kanoichurch.org. Sure, I'm glad we're in this together.